0: Welcome to episode 12 of the Listening to the Land podcast. This is a little mini episode, I really hope you enjoy this. This is a personal essay I wrote recently to share uh, a story and also just some feelings about my, my own journey and growth around education and especially in bringing adults into deeper relationship with wild places and with wild beings. We were wrapping up a full weekend of class in the wild shrub steppe of Central Washington, focused largely on wildlife tracking, but also on encountering the animate everything when a golden opportunity arose. You see, this was my first weekend of the year of my naturalist immersion program through Raven's Roots, and I was walking momentarily away from the group, wondering how to wrap things up and how to land our experiences. Literally land them as in root them back into land via our bodies. And then I heard this sound. It's impossible to capture it fully in words, but it was mesmerizing, gripping in a familiar yet hauntingly strange way, the sound of a migrating flock of birds underwater. I stood there stunned by the rich, all-encompassing sound that reached me at my perch on a grassy knoll above a partially frozen lake. Just then, I had to run back to the students and tell them I had an experience for them. Not a track, not an animal, but a sensory immersive experience of unique power. One by one, they arrived and sat down. I invited everyone to to listen with closed eyes. Minutes passed and I finally asked them what this experience felt like and what the sound brought up in their mind's eye. Birds migrating underwater, traveling and calling to each other, to stay together and to forge ahead. How can I explain? The sound was rich, tinkling, peeping, pulsing in exquisite complexity. There was a rhythm to it that was deeply familiar, lulling us into a state of relaxation. I felt my whole body unwinding, listening to this lilting chorus. Knots that lasted months were somehow released and eased into softness. Students were slow to speak and slower still to get up and leave. It held us in a spell of awe and delight of the land speaking, in the most direct way possible, right to our bodies. I saw many smiles, and I certainly wore one too. To explain the source of this sound is not to dismiss the aliveness of it, the orchestral harmony that it took to create, nor how the sound spoke to the many other bodies that were there to perceive it. Below our group, a shelf of thin ice reached nearly halfway across the lake, A northwesterly wind was blowing from across the lake, gently but steadily, creating small waves that lapped at the ice shelves edge and rippled and popped and undulated in the softer spots. The more solid edges of the outer ice channeled the little waves under and into the softer, more pliant, thin ice near to shore. The visual effect was almost like a pulsing heart, but it was the sound that was truly enthralling, matching the cadence and the increase and decrease in volume of the vast flocks of migrating snow and cackling geese high above us. We left reluctantly and I felt truly like I had accomplished a very difficult feat, helping the students feel the animacy of the land, all of them. I really had only to ask them to pay attention and the land at the rest. Minimal facilitation was needed, mostly a matter of creating space in our day and in ourselves for the experience to penetrate. We talked about how the sound of the thawing ice might be reaching the ears of hibernating yellow-bellied marmots in the cliffs just behind us, how that singing, pulsing song of water, wind, and land must have spoken in the same way to their ancestors about the promise of spring, a dialogue of bodies with other bodies. You see, my challenge for the last several years has been to really push myself to find ways to bring a more deeply relational experience to my students, This has and continues to ask me to do a lot of work in unpacking and changing my own expectations of in relationship to both the wild places and beings we encounter and my own teaching goals. In short, make tracking more relational. Of course, tracking is relational. By its nature, a practice of deep learning via our observations in our bodies. No doubt, it's a path to rewild and reroute in our own animal selves, But here is the thing. Many trackers still approach this process as rather colonized in mindset. The challenge is that as instructors, we have agendas that very often revolve around exposing students to the maximum amount of information possible at each location. An inundating wave, an avalanche of facts, figures, and knowledge dumped on and into the minds of the participants. Content, content, and more content. I used to teach like this and still know many teachers who live by this. Some students do the, do enjoy this, or claim they do, but I have found that many do not. Information retention is certainly a common goal across the board in Western educational thinking. How much information can you take in, store, and regurgitate? Here's my problem with it. So what if you can tell two species of mouse tracks apart? Believe me when I say I do enjoy and care about this level of minutia, I eat it up. But how does it land for others, and why does it matter? And as a teacher, is emphasizing that students learn that the most impactful way to engage them with the living world. My critique of this could span many pages, ranging from philosophical to logical, but here's my point. What good is it? if we don't love the world? What good is it if people forget about the life of that mouse a few minutes later? What good is it if they don't recognize that they are in a living world surrounded by many beings who are themselves living, relating, and loving? As we watch the world continue to suffer and change into a more human-impacted place, I can't help but ask more of all of us. And ask of receptivity, of opening, of listening more than we speak to others whose voices are often best taken in and appreciated with our bodies. Not to fight climate change, but to embrace all those already speaking to you with bodies, on bodies, on bodies. The great web of relations, who are part of the greater than human world. Here is a change in tone that comes from unpacking our colonized, what do I get out of it, mindset of setting aside the desire for product and gain. I want you to imagine this for a moment. We arrived at our class location for the weekend, and we ask, what do we get out of this place? This is my old way of thinking, and is pretty extractive in nature. You'd find me running around, trying to find as many tracks and sign as possible. There are checklists to meet and content downloading to be maximized. Now, what if we arrive and we ask, who would like to show up and relate with us here. Who wants to teach us? And with that we carry a positive expectation that the land will provide exactly who we need and that these others will not just come in the form of tracks on the ground, but also of the sharp, lusty calls of migrating geese and singing ice asking us to stop, sit and listen and the feel of stirrings of tiny grasses moving upward and furry hibernating creatures being moved by those same sounds and feeling in our own individual bodies that same odd exuberance to be there. Sometimes what lands for us and burrows deep is not the tracks we look at but the creaking bugling of crane voices filtering down to us and expanding our sense of world and self outward. Maybe tracking can continue to evolve into being part of a life way where we remember ourselves as part of land and surrounded by many relatives who can teach us to love and belong again.